Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds, owner of Mint Mobile, with a message for everyone paying big wireless way too much. Please, for the love of everything good in this world, stop. With Mint, you can get premium wireless for just $15 a month. Of course, if you enjoy overpaying, no judgments, but that's weird. Okay, one judgment. Anyway, give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. New activation and upfront payment for three-month plan required. Taxes and fees extra. Additional restrictions apply. See mintmobile.com for full terms. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Selling a little or a lot? Do your thing however you cha-ching with Shopify, the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash offer 23. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds, owner of Mint Mobile, with a message for everyone paying big wireless way too much. Please, for the love of everything good in this world, stop. With Mint, you can get premium wireless for just $15 a month. Of course, if you enjoy overpaying, no judgments, but that's weird. Okay, one judgment. Anyway, give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. New activation and upfront payment for three-month plan required. Taxes and fees extra. Additional restrictions apply. See mintmobile.com for full terms. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Selling a little or a lot? Do your thing however you cha-ching with Shopify, the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash offer 23. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Selling a little or a lot? Do your thing however you cha-ching with Shopify, the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash offer 23. Tis the season to shine with H&M. Discover the holiday collection and find fashionable pieces for your wardrobe or for under the tree. Get inspired and dazzle with this year's glam. From tuxedo styles, bow-detailed pieces, impressive prints, and more. From unforgettable looks to unforgettable gifts. With fashion finds to home decor, find it all at H&M. Treat your loved ones and yourself this season. Shop in-store or at hm.com. Empowered and Unapologetic is part of the Practice of the Practice Podcast Network, a family of podcasts that change the world. To hear other podcasts like the Bomb Mom Podcast, Beta Male Revolution, or Imperfect Thriving, go to practiceofthepractice.com forward slash network. Have you ever thought, how did I manage to lose myself? Being a mom is so hard, especially when we're feeling stressed and disconnected. We exhaust ourselves trying to create this perfect life for our family. You deserve to enjoy your marriage and your kids without the stress perfectionism brings. I am going to teach you how to identify 
who you are outside of all of the roles you play. Hi, I'm Veronica Cisneros. I'm a wife, mother of three, and a licensed marriage and family therapist. I am on a mission to teach women just like you how to become empowered and unapologetic. Welcome to our girl gang. Hey ladies, welcome to Empowered and Unapologetic. I'm your host, Veronica Cisneros. Today's guest is a licensed clinical psychologist and the clinical director for a large community mental health center in Cheyenne, Wyoming. She has intensive professional experience in the treatment of eating disorders in a variety of levels of care. Although her current role is primarily administrative, she provides continuing education courses and consultation around the treatment of eating disorders to mental health professionals across the country. So please help me by welcoming Dr. Amy Foster. Hey, girl. Hey. (laughs) So I have to say, I'm totally inspired by your ability to connect so easily with your patients. And Dr. Foster and I worked together at a partial hospitalization program. And her and I became instant friends. She was so easy to talk to. And obviously, I loved her contagious smile. And so in today's episode, I would love for you to educate us on what we can do as parents to assist our children who may be battling an eating disorder. I I think as parents, we tend to be a bit extreme. We'll either overreact due to being uninformed or the complete opposite which is doing nothing and pretending the problem doesn't even exist or it'll go away. And I see this personally in my own private practice, and I would love to arm our listeners with the tools they need to help their children altogether. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so can you tell us, can you tell us a little bit about your background, your story? Yeah, definitely. So um, I guess just going way back, I started, obviously I have a, undergraduate degree in psychology, and then I decided to um, pursue a master's in clinical psychology and then also a doctorate. So I kind of went all the way. Um, And during my training, I really, well, I had some personal experiences with eating disorder, just with some friends and family in my life. And so um, as I started my training, that was kind of an area of focus that I felt like I wanted to kind of dive a little bit deeper into. I wanted to more fully understand the why, and I wanted to um, be able to kind of help people who are in the, in, you know, the situation of battling an eating disorder. So I, um, while I was in graduate school, I took some courses around this, but then I was able to land a job at an eating disorder, in an eating disorder program. It was a lockdown facility actually. So it was an inpatient facility. It also had a residential program attached to it. So I kind of got, um, some early experiences with the treatment of eating disorders and in, in sort of the most severe population out there. So uh, it was yeah. incredibly fascinating um, and powerful. And I really got to see um, the potential for recovery and kind of the ins and outs of what eating disorders look like. So with that experience, I um, continued on in my training um, and continued to work at an outpatient level of care. So just kind of basic individual um, therapy uh, treating eating disorders. Um, and with my experience, you know, it, 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 I, what I came to found, find is that in the field of eating disorders, there's either people with treatment experience or people without treatment experience. There's not a whole lot of in between, like people either really know how to focus, um, the treatment for an eating disorder or 
they don't have any training or experience in the treatment of eating disorder. So I kind of quickly became an expert in a lot of um, places that I was working or continuing my training. Um, I went on then to pursue a postdoctoral education in eating disorders um, and oversaw a partial hospitalization and intensive outpatient treatment program at a, in a large hospital system for the treatment of eating disorders. So I received um, training there, again, a high level of care. These are people, uh, both adolescents and adults, who could come to treatment um, Monday through Friday and receive programming and services, um, meet with a dietitian, meet with a psychiatrist, a medical professional, and then um, they would go home, say, in the evenings or um, weekends. Yeah. So I did that for a number of years. Um, and that really solidified my training. And then, you know, based on that experience, receiving the supervision and, and again, um, the training that I did, I was able to then classify myself as an expert and since have been doing a lot of consultation, again, teaching online classes. I do CEUs or continuing education courses for uh, mental health professionals who are trying to figure out the, you know, the best course of treatment for eating disorders. Obviously they pop up in a lot of places. And again, we kind of have people who are very familiar with the treatment models or people who have no experience. And so there's not a whole lot of gray area. So I found that that consultation piece has been really helpful. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I appreciate that you said that you either know, or you don't know, Yeah, you know, and I've ran into a couple um, clients who, you know, have, have been with therapists who never, ever addressed the eating disorder at all. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the client went or the, you know, the client went so long, you know, and, and their, their eating disorder, their, the symptoms got even more and more severe. And it was like, girl, wait a minute. No, (laughs) you know, we have, we actually have to go to an expert. We have to go to one step higher. Definitely. And I think that, you know, part of the dilemma too, is that we have such a diet culture. Um, And so, so then people, if you don't, if you're not aware, if you don't know how to ask the right questions or you don't know what questions to ask, or um, you don't know how to tell when it's kind of crossed that line, or if there's, you know, this belief that maybe an eating disorder is just a diet gone wrong, or some of those things kind of lead to almost encouragement. You know, we tend to say, oh, you've lost weight, like you look great, or we don't worry about the fact that you're, you lost your appetite. Maybe we assume that's a symptom of depression or, you know, so we kind of almost encourage um, eating disorder behavior in a way that we're not even familiar with. And I think that's kind of across our culture in general. Yes. I'm so glad you said that. I'm I'm so, so glad you said that because yeah, we, we don't know. And if you're, you know, went from, you know, a 10 to now a size two, it's like, dude, good for you. You're looking great, you know, and you're, you're met with all of this positive feedback versus, okay, wait a minute. You did that in like two weeks or yeah. you did that in like less than a month. Like what's going on. Um, so can you share with us, what are the signs like, how do I know if my child has an eating disorder, especially our teens? Like, mm-hmm. what am I looking for? Yeah, it's really common for adolescents to have, you know, insecurities about their body or fear of fitting in or, you know, being dissatisfied with the way they look. I mean, we've all seen that. You know, we know that teenagers just really their like whole purpose is to find a friend group that they fit in with, you know, whatever <laughs> that, however that looks and whatever it takes to get there, right? So. It's hard. It can be hard to differentiate to to say, you know, when is this just sort of normal teenage insecurity, and when has this crossed the line into something that maybe we need to seek treatment for? 
Um, I think that any type of, I call it rumination, but like obsessive thinking, like when you find that the, a teenager can't get their mind off of body image, right. It's causing like serious emotional distress. You're seeing them kind of isolating and crying. And, you know, I, I've seen teenagers do things like beg their parents for diet pills. And, you know, what I want for my birthday is like Weight Watchers shakes and things like that. Um, also, you know, something to look for is body checking. Like teenagers do this a lot. You know, they walk by a mirror, they check themselves out. They're constantly looking in the mirror, wondering, making sure they look okay. You know, I, you know, making sure that everybody thinks they look good. Um, but you also want to monitor, is that becoming, does that seem excessive? Is it, has it crossed from like normal teenage, you know, want to make sure that I, my friends think I'm cool to, I'm obsessing about this. So I think the really big thing is like, um, like I said, kind of crossing over to that rumination or obsessive thinking about these things. And then also monitoring appetite or exercise. Those are two really common things. And a lot of times teenagers will say, uh, I'm just not hungry, right? Or that doesn't sound good. Or I, I'd prefer this. I'm a picky eater. Or mm-hmm. right now we have this um, kind of thing or movement around orthorexia, which is an obsession with healthy eating, right? So yes. it that transpires into kind of a fear of anything that might, you know, the teenager might enjoy, right? I can't go to this birthday party because I can't be around those cupcakes because what if I eat one? Right. And so you're seeing that kind of social isolation um, that's not typical for teenage development. So I think those are really things, really big things to look for. And then, like I said, exercise, um, obsessive or excessive exercise can be a form of eating disorder behavior. So if you are, you know, working with somebody or, you know, you live with somebody who uh, is seems to be like running to compensate for what they ate. Like, oh, I feel guilty for eating pizza. So I have to go to the gym for four hours. I would say that anything over sort of one hour a day of daily activity or exercise, intentional exercise is maybe overboard for somebody who's in their teenage years. One thing that I found is, you know, some, some moms will say, you know, my eight-year-old, you know, whenever we're in the pool, like, you know, she'll, she'll extend her belly and say, you know, I have a big belly, you know, I'm fat. And they'll just kind of like rub on their belly and, you know, they're like, oh, well, this isn't a big deal. You know, she's eight, you know, or my daughter, you know, is in junior high and she's not taking her lunch or she's not eating it, you know, or another thing with, I love that you said, you know, this, this, this diet of being completely healthy. And so it's like, oh, my daughter's, you know, my daughter's taking on a healthy habit and we want, we all of a sudden end up encouraging it. Right. Yeah. We don't pay attention to everything else that's going on because again, we don't want to panic. However, there are times when we don't panic or I shouldn't say when we don't panic, when we don't pay attention and something goes even further, Mm -hmm. you know, a friend of mine is, you know, her daughter she went into being, um, stopped eating meat, stopped eating dairy. And all of a sudden she had this substantial like weight loss. And, you know, she was really scared, really, really scared, taking her pediatrician, checking her BMI, um, and, and didn't know what to do. And she's like, you know, maybe if we just have healthy conversations and I, I really, really appreciate that you're, you're, you're giving us all of these signs to look for because, 
I, I don't think people realize how serious this can be. Yeah. And I think, you know, something to keep in mind, and again, you don't, like you said, you don't want to panic, but Mm -hmm. anorexia is a really serious uh, illness. It's, it's uh, up there in the top most lethal, right? So I think that monitoring and keeping a close eye on these types of behaviors is really important, especially in the teenage years. And, you know, you mentioned like, you know, an eight-year-old kind of sticking out their belly and making a joke about them having a big belly. And when, when teenagers or even young children, talk, you know, comment about their body or talk negatively about their body, I think the most appropriate and helpful response is to draw the attention to something that's not body related. Like, um, you know, some, point out something about their character that's, that you love or something um, that they did that made you laugh or, you know, just something else that's not body related. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, what we want to teach our kids is that yeah, the way you look is important, right? That's important in our communities. That's important in our society. Like we can't get around that, but it's not the most important thing about you. And you have a lot of things to offer this world that aren't body image related. So let's focus on those things instead. Okay. I can hear a mom saying, okay, well, wait a minute. Isn't that ignoring it? Isn't that, you know, avoiding the conversation or, you know what I mean? I can totally hear somebody say that. And you're not necessarily saying to completely pretend like it doesn't exist. It's like, okay, your daughter's doing this and we get to say out loud, you know, okay, you know, well, well, before I even say it, what would you say? So if, if, you know, you see your cousin, your niece, you know, your little, your little niece coming up to you and saying, you know, auntie, look at my big belly, you know, I'm fat. What would you, what would be your, you know, direct response? What would happen in that moment? Like, what would you say? Well, I think immediately, first, I would challenge that, right, by saying something like, first of all, you're not fat. Second of all, <laughs> I mean, I like to say that the F word, fat, is kind of a dirty word. Like, we shouldn't use yeah. it as muscles, right? Um, because I because it does kind of perpetuate this diet culture and this, like, pursuit of thinness and in, instead of health and all of those things. So, um, you know, I would really challenge that. First of all, you're not fat. Second of all, we don't use that word. Third, I love your belly. It's perfect. <laughs> right? Like, if you didn't have that belly, you wouldn't be you. And yeah. let's and now let's talk about some of the other things I love about you. You know what else you are? You're smart and you're talented and you're funny, right? And you have a ton of friends and you make everybody laugh. All of those other things that are more important. You enjoy helping people. Um, those things that are truly going to change the world, right? Not Not just the way that you look. Yes. Can I ask you, what are the stages? You mentioned something that was also extremely important. Anorexia is obviously it's lethal. However, once we get past a certain stage, Mm -hmm. it's very difficult to treat. It's, you know, it's said to be more difficult than a drug addiction or alcoholism. It is extremely difficult to treat so much so that some therapists won't treat it. Some therapists won't, will completely shy away from it because of how difficult it is. So can you please tell us what the stages are? Yeah. So I, you know, one thing to keep in mind is that I, and I'll call it true anorexia um, like mm-hmm. in the most severe of forms is uh, it's really common for that to actually go with obsessive compulsive disorder, commonly known, you know, OCD. Yes. So yes, I'm glad you said that. 
Yeah, there is this really kind of obsessive component to it, which again, like you were saying, Veronica makes it really hard to treat. Um, And so oftentimes the way that eating disorders kind of start is with the initial, you know, food restriction of unhealthy things, right? And then um, that kind of can transpire into more food restriction, calorie counting, you know, trying to stay under a certain amount of calories, compensating with other behaviors like exercise um, to, you know, reduce the overall calorie intake. And then the more restrictive it becomes, I mean, think about how um, food really is a nourishment for the brain and body. So if if you're starving yourself, if you're, if you're hungry, then your brain's not firing appropriately either. So then that kind of um, leads to further obsession and lack of logical thinking, right? And then, of course, we run into high risk when um, the weight substantially drops, right? When somebody's underweight, that becomes the highest risk. So, uh, you know, we, we use the VMI chart still, even though it's pretty um, outdated, we can use that as an indicator to know when somebody is underweight. Um, and then the heart, you know, that's when the heart comes under pressure when somebody is too thin for their brain, um, and not continuing to nourish their body, then the heart conditions can begin to arise. And actually the most common form of death for somebody with anorexia is a heart attack. So it it can be a slow progression and also can be a quick progression. You know, some things that people do to, monitor their hunger or to mitigate hunger um, while restricting food is are things like drinking lots of water, chewing gum, even eating things like celery that have little to no caloric value, but may provide some relief from stomach pain at some point. So people do a lot of things to try to alleviate the pain from hunger, but also, you know, maintain a calorie restriction. Um, and I think, you know, again, it can progress pretty quickly um, or mm-hmm. it can progression over time, depending on the person. Um, and if you think about it, you know, hunger is a biological drive. Like it's something that we have, we eat to survive, you know? And so somebody's ability at that level to, uh, completely ignore or shut that off. And that's, that requires something different happening in the brain. And so when we get to that point, it's very unnatural. Um, and that's again, another reason why it becomes difficult to treat. And then obviously, it can be lethal. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and th- does this go as well for um, bulimia and other eating disorders? Like yeah. does the same rule apply? Bulimia, I like to call kind of a, more of a silent killer. And I, I think, you know, again, I don't want to freak people out, um, <laughs> but it, it's, it is really dangerous as well. It's not considered as lethal as anorexia. Um, and oftentimes people who suffer from bulimia are not necessarily underweight. So, mm-hmm. you, so you don't have, you know, they don't necessarily experience the same heart problems, although they can. And so they're not as high risk for heart attack. But one thing that, that bulimia does highly impact uh, are different, you know, nutrients in the body. Like for example, potassium, when the potassium levels get dangerously low, it's lethal and it's hard to see right? You can't see it with the naked eye when somebody doesn't have a healthy potassium balance. Um, you know, they're, but when somebody's purging, they're ridding themselves of all these electrolytes. And then when those things get off whack, it can be really, 
concerning. And I, you know, I've seen people admitted to the emergency room who were walking, talking, looking perfectly fine, but because of their bulimia, um, were lacking in certain enzymes that put them in critical condition. So those are things to, to consider as well. Again, not considered um, as lethal based on numbers, but still very, very dangerous. Absolutely. So one question that I was asked by a mom in our Facebook group. Um, so ladies, we have, we have a Facebook group and in that group, you know, I asked, I asked everybody to go out and give me some questions on, on what to ask, you know, Dr. Foster. And one of the moms had asked, you know, if a mom has had a history of an eating disorder, how do you teach, prevent your daughter from having similar issues with obesity in our country? I'm so worried this could happen to Rory because of my own food and body anxieties. Yeah. We're going to go into more, more, you know, the, what to do next, but just, you know, how would you answer her question? Yeah, I think that's a really, that's a really common concern. And, and also, again, like I was saying before, all of those, um, you know, body image issues are so pervasive. They're so out there, right. In our society. And I think we have kind of, um, made, started the switch to kind of more positivity, body positivity. We have more body positive movements. I yeah. mean, that's still an ongoing struggle. And I, and I will say, you know, do we want, do we blame parents when a, when a child gets developed an eating disorder? Absolutely not. But I will say that our children learn about their bodies based on how we express our thoughts and feelings about our bodies. So, Amen. so that, I mean, it, it, there is a trickle down effect, right? So if I'm constantly saying, Oh, I'm overweight. I need to lose weight. I'm fat, you know, using that F word. Oh, I can't eat that. That'll make mommy fat. Um, or mommy needs to be look good in her swimsuit. So she can't, you, you know, you fill in the blank, all of those things that we say that is going to have an impact on our children, right? Cause they're looking at us going, well, if that's how my mom feels in her body, then that's expected of me, how I'm supposed to feel in my body. Right. So we do need to monitor those things, like how we're talking about ourselves is impacting our children, even though we're, we may be saying to them, you're beautiful, you're perfect, there's nothing wrong with you, you're not fat. If I'm saying that, but then turning around and calling myself fat, that's going to have an impact. Um, yes. And so it is important to keep that in mind when, you know, when we're talking to our children. It's, again, it matters how I speak about my own body and my own um, diet. I think that, you know, at the end of the day, we can't predict what's around every corner. We can only do what, the best we can. And so in addressing the question um, presented in the Facebook group, I think what's most important is that at this point you're focusing on health and well-being in all of your conversations, right? So if you're um, cooking dinner and you're choosing to leave out a certain ingredient, it's not because you don't want it to make you fat or you want to manipulate the way that you look. It's because this is not good for our bodies. And this is why we want to choose foods that energize us and keep us healthy and motivated and active. Right. Or we we're going to go on a family bike ride, not because we need to lose weight, but because we want to be active and healthy and this is good. And exercise is beneficial for the bones and, and muscles. And we want to make sure we have healthy hearts and all of those other things. Right. So focusing on more of the benefits that these things give you and, and using that to illustrate the why as, and, and model healthy eating as opposed to, um, you know, we can't have this or we can't have that. And all because if we have this or we have that, 
then we're not going to look good. Well, yeah. And I, I think we fail to realize, you know, especially as moms, like, okay, we're all going to go for a walk, you know? And it's like, oh crap, we have to go for a walk because mom needs to lose 10 pounds, you know, versus we're all going to go on a walk and this is fun. This is us connecting. We can't, we don't take our phones. And yes, most of our kids complain about not having their phones in hand, but I know with my girls, they actually prefer us not to have our phones because that's when they get most of our attention. And it's us, you know, having these, you know, having these great conversations and, you know, funny, and it's just us being us versus, you know, there being some, you know, there being some mission and the kids, whether, you know, whether we like to believe it or not, like the kids know, you know, because of, again, what we're doing behind the scenes, you know, how often are they walking into our rooms and watching us on the scale? How often are they walking in, you know, into our closets and here we go. Mommy's crying again because she doesn't fit into her clothes and she's upset. I know I've been there, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie about that. I know I've been there, you know, Willie wants to go on a date night and, you know, it's like, oh damn, <laughs> what am I going to want? You know what I mean? But, but it's. And how those things just have the absolute ability to ruin your day. I mean, I think that's true for all of us, you know, like yes. I'm in the wrong headspace and I get on the scale and I don't like what I see. It's like, damn, my whole day's gone. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm like spiraling, right? But I think what's really important, and I just would like to say this to all the listeners out there, get rid of the clothes that don't fit, girl. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Don't quit. I mean, don't keep fighting with them. Like, just move to a place of acceptance. If that changes at some point, you can reward yourself and go buy something new. But just don't, don't put yourself to that anymore. <laughs> I love that you said that. I'm so glad you said that. Like reward yourself. Like you get a whole set of new clothes, you know, but like battling with those jeans, laying down, doing all the sucking it in and everything like that. It's a battle we know we're going to lose. It never feels good. Like never. So just, Mm -mm. yeah, get rid of them. Bag them up. Okay, They don't feel good. They don't fit. You don't like how they feel. Get rid of them. Absolutely. Um, another thing that I've heard is, you know, parents, you know, they're seeing their kids, especially right now, you know, we're in this pandemic and, you know, I've, I've heard of some of my clients say, okay, well, you know, I put a lock on the pantry because I don't want the kids eating all of the snacks. And this one over here eats every single, you know, um, go-gurt or this one, you know, eats every single, you know, um, perfect bar or whatever it is, you know? And so, all of a sudden, now we have all of these rules. And I I, I, I want to go ahead and highlight that you said it's not our fault. However, it's important for us to pay attention to what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And so if you're locking your pantry, right? If you're telling your kids you can only have one snack and you've already had five and that's it, you know, are we a part of a problem? Are we starting something, you know, something unhealthy? Yeah. Well, you know, I think something that's that's a good question because it's important to also recognize that kids will also emotionally eat, right? And especially if that's yes. been modeled for them, right? And you, I mean, and I think a lot of us are guilty of that. You know, you're stuck at home, you're bored. What else do you do but snack, right? Cruise the pantry. Yeah. Cruise the pantry. Or like you're constantly <laughs> watching Netflix and so you have a bag of chips next to you. Or, you know, like all of those things. And, and during this time, it's really hard. Um And so I think it's important to recognize that kids are also experiencing that. And it might be important to have some conversations about what other things that we can do instead of, again, with the focus of not on weight, but on health, right? Because binge eating is not healthy either, 
right? And so not that we want to create all kinds of rules around food, but maybe we want to start talking to our kids about hunger cues. Like, how do I know when I'm hungry? And how do I know when I'm full? Maybe this is a good lesson for all of us at home to start learning now that we're all freaking bored and just sitting here not doing yeah. anything. Um, you know, what, what does it feel like in my body when I'm hungry versus when I'm full? And um, what are some other things that I can do to occupy, occupy my time when I'm bored as opposed to just snacking? And why, why do I not want to snack all day? What's the, what's the purpose of that, right? Because I want to listen to my body and what my body needs at any given moment. And if I'm just snacking all day and not responding to my body, then I'm not taking good care of my health. Um, so, you know, yes. providing some of those um, lessons, and again, I think are probably beneficial lessons for all of us right now to hear, right? Again, checking in myself, in with myself when I'm hungry versus when I'm full. And something that I, I kind of do, uh, and I guess I'll throw, this is a good time to throw that out there. There's a book out there. It's called Intuitive Eating that I would highly yes. recommend um, because it really does highlight that, you know, how do we listen to our bodies? How do we give our bodies what, our, what we want? How do we know when we're hungry and when we're full, when to start, when to stop? you know, all of those types of things. And, and again, just kind of feeding our bodies what it's asking for, because there, there's this idea that um, we have kind of a, a natural place where we'll land if we, if we just eat intuitively versus restricting or cutting out different things. Um, and so I think that can be really helpful and a really good lesson to start teaching families, especially during this time is how do we eat intuitively? Let's check in. How hungry are you right now? Like on a scale from zero to 10, zero being like, I'm not hungry at all. I'm just bored. And 10 being, you know, I'm uncomfortable or I'm starving. I have these, you know, hunger pangs in my stomach. How hungry mm -hmm. are you? And let's kind of monitor that before we just snack all day. And let's do it together. And why? Because it's good for us physically, right? Yes. Yes. I think another thing, you know, that you hit on is in so many ways, we're communicating and teaching our children how to respect their bodies. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Versus like mm -hmm. totally, you know, taking advantage of them or like mistreating it. Mm -hmm. Like we're, we're teaching our children how to go ahead and respect and love our bodies. And, you know, one question I also want to ask that just kind of came up is, you know, you mentioned making sure that you, um, you know, when you're cooking, when you leave certain ingredients out, you know, if your child asks why and communicating to them that, you know, mm -hmm. this is what eating healthy looks like. Right. What about, what about moms who are eating the salad mm -hmm. and the kids are eating the pizza, mm -hmm. you know, and you hear, oh, mom can't eat that. And I, I love that you said that mom can't eat that because she's trying to lose weight. Mm -hmm. Like what happens with that? Because I think in so many ways, it's like, well, mom, it, it, it serves as a form of punishment. Mm -hmm. It serves as mom's being punished because she didn't know how to get her crap together. And, you know, she has to lose those 10 pounds, Right. You know, what would you say to the moms that are like only eating salads or only drinking protein shakes and they're eating completely different, like a, a completely different meal than their families? I, that's hard because I don't think it's what a lot of moms want to hear because as that's why I'm asking <laughs> super hyper focused on, you know, I have to get this way. Um, and you know, so I think this is might be an unpopular opinion, but I, I don't think that's benefiting your children. Um, yeah. When you're modeling something completely different than, you know, than they're doing. I think, again, going back to intuitive eating, what's most helpful is being able to say, I can have some and I'll be okay. Right. 
Like I can have a piece of pizza if we're, it's Friday night and we're having a family movie night and we're all eating pizza. I can enjoy that with you guys. Um, I can, there, I can step outside of my comfort zone. Um, I heard yes. say at one point, um, while her teenager was in eating disorder treatment, she said, if I have to eat a stick of butter a day to make sure that you are healthy and, and survive because you're modeling me, if I yeah. have to gain weight to make sure you're okay, I will do it every single day. Yeah. And that really struck a chord with me because I mean, I think ultimately, obviously we don't want to get to that point, but what she was communicating there was this, it, it ain't about me anymore. Like I'm going to yes. have some changes. I have um, modeled for so long that it's okay to restrict your food intake, that it, that diet is everything that weight loss is, you know, is what makes our world go round, that being thin is the ultimate goal. And, you know, kind of having this epiphany that, that, that is not the goal. And that's not what I want. I want the goal to be for my daughter. And now we're in this boat where she's in eating disorder treatment and I have to model something different if I want her to get healthy. And again, if that means that I have to gain 50 pounds to make it so I will gain 50 pounds and not saying that bring the butter. Yeah. Yeah. Not saying that that's, you know, that's where we want to be, but ultimately, I mean, we have to think about it that way. You know, what are we modeling for our children and are we modeling that, you know, we can eat intuitively. We can have some and not all. We can have a cookie and not the whole box. We can have pizza night sometimes. We can, you know, yes. um, is there balance in our lifestyle? That's what we want to model, right? We don't want to model those extremes. And so when when you're, again, only eating the salad, only eating the protein shake, um, not showing any variation or flexibility uh, in your nutrition, that's going to trickle down. Like the kids are going to pick up on that. Um, and it, you know, again, sort of internalize this belief system that, like you said, you have to punish yourself to meet your goals and food restriction and thinness are important and, um, whatever it takes, you have to get there and all of those other things that come with that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we are going to take a pause right here. Mm -hmm. Here's why. Because we are going to teach you. Well, I'm not going to teach you. Ain't, Dr. Foster is going to, you know, I've, I've called you Amy because we've been homies forever. And so I'm like trying to get used to Dr. Foster. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. So we're going to take a pause. We're going to take a pause right now because we're going to take it even further. So Dr. Foster has taught us, not only are we not to blame, we are also we are also capable of picking up the signs, right? And we also understand the severity of an eating disorder and what to do, right? Well, not necessarily 100% what to do, and that's where we're going to go next. Mm-hmm. Awesome. In the next episode, we're going to go ahead and learn how to talk to our children if they do have an eating disorder and the do's and don'ts. Dr. Foster is also going to teach us what we can do now to go ahead and move forward to get the help and treatment we need or to go ahead and change up things in our household. So totally excited. Can't wait. That'll be in the next episode. What's up, ladies? Just want to let you guys know that your ratings and reviews for this podcast are greatly appreciated. If you love this podcast, please go to iTunes right now and rate and review. Thank you, guys. Many women lose their own identity in the shadow of being a mom and a wife. 
We are a community of women who support each other. We leave perfectionism behind to become empowered and unapologetic. I know you're ready for the next steps. If you want to become empowered and unapologetic, get my free course, Unapologetically Me, over at empoweredandunapologetic.com forward slash course. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. This is given with the understanding that neither the host, practice of the practice, or the guests are providing legal, mental health, or other professional information. If you need a professional, you should find one. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there. Addiction impacts all of us. Addiction's consequences run through all of us. From ourselves to our loved ones and through our communities, addiction creates so much loss and grief. My name is Dwayne Osterlin, and I'm the host of the Addicted Mind podcast, a show featuring personal stories, expert guests, and vital information about addiction and addiction recovery. We'll talk with leading treatment providers to discuss the latest research and treatment options for this devastating disease and advocate for mental health awareness. We discuss topics like the importance of creating a community of support to helping loved ones to some of the latest research on psychedelic medicines. The Addicted Mind podcast has been about creating hope listening to stories of many amazing people that have overcome addiction and are thriving. If you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, subscribe to the Addicted Mind podcast wherever you get your podcasts or check out theaddictedmind.com. New episodes every Monday. See you there. Addiction impacts all of us. Addiction's consequences run through all of us. From ourselves to our loved ones and through our communities, addiction creates so much loss and grief. My name is Dwayne Osterlin, and I'm the host of the Addicted Mind podcast, a show featuring personal stories, expert guests, and vital information about addiction and addiction recovery. We'll talk with leading treatment providers to discuss the latest research and treatment options for this devastating disease and advocate for mental health awareness. We discuss topics like the importance of creating a community of support to helping loved ones to some of the latest research on psychedelic medicines. The Addicted Mind podcast has been about creating hope, listening to stories of many amazing people that have overcome addiction and are thriving. If you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, subscribe to the Addicted Mind podcast wherever you get your podcasts or check out theaddictedmind.com. New episodes every Monday. See you there. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. 
We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there. Hey there. This is Casey McGuire-Davidson, host of the Hello Someday podcast. I'm an ex-red wine girl turned life coach who helps busy women change their relationship with alcohol. I spent 20 years climbing the corporate ladder while drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. In the Hello Someday podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking obsessed culture without a buzz and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst case scenario to the best decision of your life. You can find new episodes of the Hello Someday podcast every Thursday, wherever you listen. And I hope you check it out. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there. I'm Madeline and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety and lots of 
how-tos for navigating all the things sober, from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories, and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.